Well, as I mentioned, I am really excited about the series that uh, we're beginning here. We're, uh, we're going to spend the next season in our church studying the book of Galatians. And it was a letter that a man by the name of Paul, we know him as Apostle Paul, wrote to this brand new church, a set of churches in this region that he was responsible actually for starting. And, and I remember hearing Steve Brown, some of you may know Steve Brown, a radio uh, guy um, and uh, counselor and professor, and with that deep, unmistakable, mesmerizing bass voice of his, uh, he opened his sermon this way. He says, I want you to get to know the Apostle Paul. He's a friend of mine, and I just love that. And, and that really captures my heart this morning. I want you to get to know the Apostle Paul. He's a friend of mine. And he became a friend in one of the most unlikely of places when I was a college student many, many, many moons ago, way back in the spring of 1982 at one of the most unlikely of places, University of Michigan. And I say that it's unlikely because Michigan is not known for its evangelical theology. Let me just put it that way. And uh, this particular semester, though, they invited an adjunct professor from Dallas Theological Seminary, a great conservative evangelical seminary, to come in and teach a three-credit course that they offered to the students at Michigan called the Letters of Paul. Wow. 13 weeks just immersing into the life and the mind and the character and the heart and the writings uh, and the story of this great, great man who helped found the church as we know it today. And so Paul, this individual, wrote this letter that we're studying to the Galatian churches, and it's all about the importance of the gospel. In this letter, we learn what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. We learn that God, the gospel is not only the way we enter into the kingdom of God, but it is also the way that we bring about the kingdom of God as the gospel deeply enters our lives and we enter into it. I think it's the perfect letter for us to study coming off of a year where we spent the year in the life of Jesus. Because if we're going to lean into now the thing that we, uh, in the vision and direction that we feel God is leading us as a church, it's very important that that's built upon a deep understanding and immersion in the gospel of Christ. So I'd like to read for you this morning our passage is Galatians 1. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. If not, uh, you can look on your phone or we've provided the passage in your bulletin. Let me read Galatians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul, an apostle, set not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be anathema. Let them be under God's curse. As we have said, and I'll say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be accursed. This is God's word. 
When was the last time you were reminded of the gospel? For me, uh, I had a chance this week uh, to be reminded of the gospel. I had a, took the opportunity to catch up with an old friend. It was a lunch that was way overdue. We had uh, lost contact for a little while, and so it was really refreshing to get together. And I, I can't understand why I let this go, because this relationship's so life-giving for me. And in the natural flow of our conversation, my friend reminded me of the gospel. Um, and it's exactly what I needed to hear on that day. And I don't know that my friend knows that he does this uh, so regularly. Um, it just happens virtually every time I'm with him. And usually what happens and the reason I, I get reminded of the gospel, he's really, really good at being transparent about his own story, about what's going on in his life. And he doesn't try to hide stuff. He knows that all sin is common, and he knows that everybody struggles, even us pastors, by the way. And so he just shares openly. He doesn't allow sin to kind of grow in the darkness and the secrecy. He knows that the anecdote to that is to bring it to the light and to talk about it openly. And so on this particular day, he was sharing his story and he was sharing what God was teaching him in the midst of his story. And he said, you know, I'm just so overwhelmed by God's grace. It's so amazing. And he goes, and every time I kind of get introspective and look into my own heart, I, I, I'm tempted to think that there's this kind of reservoir of grace, but it's limited. And that I know eventually I've got to be getting pretty doggone close to my reservoir being empty and there's nothing left. And that one day I'm going to cross that line and God's going to say, sorry, bud, that's it. You're done. No more grace for you. You've spent it all. And he goes, of course, then I realize that's ludicrous. That's just my humanness, recognizing my weakness before God. And then he says, I get to rejoice all over again. And how eternal, eternally loved he is. Oh, that was just so good for me to hear. It's exactly what I needed to hear that day because I was feeling lonely and sad and a bit vulnerable, to be honest, uh, because of some things going on in my own life. And just hearing the gospel, and I'll tell you about those later, uh, brought me back to the peace and the comfort of knowing that God's love for me is eternal, it's unconditional, it's not linked to my performance or lack of performance, it's because of his nature, it's because of his goodness, and it flows with an eternal depth that we'll spend literally all eternity trying to understand. What a good thing. This is a great example of what Hebrews is telling us. Encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called the day, lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see, we need to encourage each other each and every day with gospel. Martin Luther, the father of the Reformation, he said, we need to tell ourselves the gospel every day, otherwise we'll forget it. Isn't that good? So when's the last time you were reminded of the gospel? You see, this tendency to forget the gospel is in all of us, and it's nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. If it makes you feel any better, this problem existed since the gospel was a thing. In fact, if you paid attention when I read Galatians 1, guess what? That's what this church is, is dealing with. They were started, one of the earliest churches, and Paul, in the writing of this letter, it's his first letter that he wrote, was in the early 40s, only a decade after Jesus had died and rose again. And Paul had just started the church. And he's having to write to them about this problem of forgetting and changing the gospel already. 
You see, it was under attack. And, and if we understand what it is that's on the line here, eternal salvation, it will always be under attack even today. And so Paul writes this letter. And I want you to understand uh, what's going on. He's telling them you're turning to a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. So let's look a little deeper at what was happening here in the Galatian churches. Now, the thing I love about studying uh, Paul and the letters of Paul is the book of Acts was written by Luke, and it tells the story of the early church. So you can actually synchronize the letters of Paul and find their story back in Acts for most of them. And so the story of the Galatian churches is found in Acts 13 and 14 on how they began. And a quick summary of that, Paul was in a church called Antioch, and Antioch was right on the region next to Asia, which we would know as modern-day Turkey is where the Galatian churches were. And Paul was there in the church, and so he sensed the Holy Spirit leading him to go do the thing that Jesus had told him he would do, which is be the voice and the apostle to the Gentiles. The leaders of that church recognized his commission, and so they commissioned him and another leader, Barnabas, to go and do the work that God was calling them to do. And when Paul would show up in a city, he had a methodology, he had a strategy, and he would first find the synagogue, and sometimes it would only have a few members, but where the Jewish worshipers would gather in the synagogue along with God-fearing Greek uh, worshipers. And he went there because they already believed in Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament. They were already looking for their Messiah. They were, in one sense, should be ready to receive the Messiah. So he started there, the long-hanging fruit, if you will. And so going to the Jews, some would be persuaded and they became Christ followers. But many responded like Paul did before he became a Christian. They became very angry and agitated. And the scriptures record unbelievably intense persecution that this man went through facing death and near death time and time again. Inevitably, when the Jews would turn against him, he would turn to the Gentiles and begin proclaiming the gospel to them. And oftentimes there was just a, a great reception amongst the Gentiles and many came to Christ. And the early church's story is just so exciting. It's our story. And yet, when you think about it, this new family of people was made up of unbelievably divergent cultures, Jews and Gentiles. There was deep racism between the two cultures, deep skepticism, uh, deep fear, deep hatred, uh, and not knowing about one another. And so these two cultures were thrown together under this banner of now having come to Jesus, and they had to learn how to become a community of love and faith with one another. So one of the challenges, though, is the Jewish leaders who rejected the gospel got all agitated. So they started talking to their friends and saying, you know, this Paul guy, he, he's, he's lost it a little bit. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And so if you really want to become someone who is a follower of God, you can't just believe in this Jesus guy. You, you got to do the law. You, you got to keep getting circumcised. You got to keep upholding the dietary restrictions. And so these became known, uh, what we call them today, Judaizers. They were trying to pollute the message of the simple gospel with the works of having to do the Old Testament law. And so this is what has Paul so, so concerned. We might ask ourselves or say, you know, what's the big deal? Adding a little bit of law, adding a little bit of self-effort doesn't sound that bad. I mean, 
how can that hurt in making us right with God? Doesn't God want us to live kind of a moral good life? But as we see here from Paul, when we introduce good works as the thing or even part of the thing that we're trusting in to make us right with God, it is no gospel at all. It's not compatible with grace. Paul tells us in Romans eleven six, grace is no longer grace when we introduce our good works. So we got to get the gospel right. We've got to understand that there's no partial credit for our own effort. That's not a gospel. And so Paul, like a mama bear, who senses that her cubs are in danger, comes swooping in and he's very agitated in his writing and he's protecting these young believers from being led astray by these false teachers. And he uses the most, most strong language. If I or an angel from heaven comes and preaches to you a different gospel, let them be anathema. Let them be cursed. And so by defending this gospel, Paul ensured salvation for them, but not only for them, its ramifications ripple to our present day that we're talking about this morning. So what is this gospel, this this good news that Paul's so vehemently defending? I I like to share this through uh, a story that I've uh, come across that I just love. Um, Back in the 1730s, um, here there was a small group of believers that literally changed the world. Uh, anybody know the name John Wesley, um, father of modern-day Methodism? Well, he and his brother Charles, uh, they set out with just a handful of other believers, and, and they began to share the gospel of Christ. And thousands and hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. Churches sprung up all over the United States and all over Europe. Uh, and historians call this period of the church history the Great Awakening. And, uh, and we've benefited from that today. And it started with a group much smaller than we have in our auditorium here today. A group that dared to believe God. A group that got together and they sought God's heart. And they dared to believe that God might just show up if we step out in faith and we enter into the work and the gospel that God has called us to. And I'm so thankful for them. Now, one of the people that got swept up in this, his name was William Holland. And he tells a story that William Holland um, came across Martin Luther, the great reformer of the 1500s, came across his um, uh, commentary on the book of Galatians. And in his commentary, he just wrote a simple preface. And in that preface, it it was a a small distillation of the gospel, if you will, uh, which God wants us to tell ourselves every day. And so Holland grabbed Charles Wesley and a few others, and he said, let's read this preface aloud to one another. And then he journaled what happened, and here's what he wrote. He says, Mr. Charles Wesley read the phrase aloud at the words of Martin Luther, which were, what, have we nothing then to do? No, nothing. But only to accept of him, Jesus Christ, who God has made as our righteousness. Just a simple summary. At those words, there came such a power over me that I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off in an instant. My heart was so filled with peace and love, I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw our Savior. My companions, perceiving me so affected, fell on their knees and they began to pray. When I afterwards went into the street, I could scarcely feel the ground I trod upon. This was a turning point in this guy's life. What happened? He heard a simple summary of the gospel of God's grace. What have we then nothing to do? 
Nope. No, nothing. But only to accept him, Jesus Christ, who God has made as our righteousness. He heard clearly the gospel is not what you do for God, but what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. And this is why Paul is so exercised in the Galatians chapter 1. This distillation of the gospel fueled the great awakening, and I believe it will fuel us as well as a church. This is why this is such an important series for us. So let's get back to our text for today. You know, uh, I want to spend a little bit of time um, with the introduction. Now, when you're reading the introduction of of New Testament uh, letters, a lot of times it's real easy to breeze past them. But I want to encourage you, slow down and really kind of absorb some of this, because these are like concentrated pills of gospel. Paul just kind of smashes it all together, and they're just wonderfully beautiful phrases. And they give you a little head nod as to what the the letter's going to be all about. And so here, let's start in verse 1, where we see in Paul's introduction two things what it means for the gospel to enter into us and what it means for us to then enter into the gospel to be used of by God. And he starts with the latter. Paul, an apostle sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Here we see Christ calling Paul to enter into the gospel. If you'll, we're going to talk about Paul's story in a minute, but God set him apart to go do this apostle thing, which basically means to be a spokesman, taking the gospel to new places, to share it and to start new churches. And that's what he was commissioned to do. He had a plan for Paul that was God's will. By the way, guess what? He's got one for you too. You may not be an apostle, but all of us who are in God's family, God has something in mind for you. How exciting is that? And so Paul joyfully entered into the gospel. Verse three, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father. I love this about Paul. You can't go but a page without him just reflecting on some implication of the gospel. It just changed everything. And Paul just lived in it every day and he marveled over it and he wrestled with it and he just let it wash over him. By the way, that's what you and I need as well. You see, we understand in our human condition that we fall short. If we're paying attention to our own soul, it should be in our face every single day that we know I just don't have it all in me to make myself right with God. And so that could leave us broken and hurting or wanting to escape or running to our own vices. But when we open up our heart to the gospel and we recognize the depth of God's love for us to the extent that he went, when we were hopeless without Christ in this world, Jesus demonstrated his love for us by taking upon himself our sin. And he went to the cross and bore your and my burden so that we no longer would be without hope, but we could come to him and humbly receive the gift of eternal life, the gift of restored humanity, the gift of being swept up into his family. Don't you fall for the lie. I don't care what's going on in your life. I don't care if you've sinned for the 1,456th time. No one has ever fallen so far that they're beyond the reach of God's nail-pierced hands. That's the gospel. 
Isn't it great? No wonder Paul spends so much time teaching the insights about the amazing grace of God. So let's learn, why, why did this overcome him so much? Well, we need to learn a little bit about his story. It'll, it'll actually be helpful to us. Um, do you know who he was before Jesus interrupted his life? He was not a nice guy. He was a self-righteous, obnoxiously religious uh, guy who joyfully persecuted Christians. Um, he described himself as zealous for God, which is uh, a, a category of Jewish leadership during that day that particularly believed that to be zealous meant that we should be taking on anyone and everyone who opposes our religious conviction through violence, up to and including killing them if necessary. That's what it meant to be zealous for God. And Paul, when he says that, I had zeal for God. So if you want a, an equivalent, think of a modern-day religiously motivated terrorist in our world today. That's pretty close equivalent to Paul. That's who he was. Can you imagine one of those guys becoming the foremost spokesman for Jesus? God take his, took his greatest opposition and made him his foremost spokesman for the emerging church. Acts 8 tells us that Paul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women. He put them in jail, and he stood there wholeheartedly giving his tacit approval to the murder and the martyrdom of Stephen as Stephen, a leader in the church, spoke out about the gospel of Christ. But thankfully, Acts 9 happened, and that's the story where Paul uh, encounters Christ as he was heading on a road to Damascus or uh, uh, there, as he was in transit, uh, he encountered Christ. He was going to Damascus to persecute the church there. And there, Jesus showed him that Christianity was not about what Paul should do for God, but what God has done for him in Jesus Christ. And again, he took this formidable opposer of the gospel and made him his foremost spokesman. Ah, grace. Paul reflects on this so often in his writings. Let me just give you a small sample if you were to continue reading in Galatians 1, verse 13, he says, You've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal the Son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. For I am least of the apostles. I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and this grace to me was not without effect. 1 Timothy 1, 13. I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, but I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief and the grace of our Lord was poured out on me in abundance, along with the faith and the love that are in Jesus Christ. This should be so encouraging to you and me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. If God can use Paul, someone who murdered early Christians, uh, he can and, use, uh, and will use you. You see, God's grace and truth is greater than your and my sin. So if you've repeated the same sin so many times, you can't keep count and you feel unworthy. To this, Paul says, but God in his grace. 
If you feel you've fallen so far and so often that now you can't be used of by God, Paul says, but by God and his grace. If what you're facing seems so big that you'll never overcome it, to this Paul says, but God and his grace. Oh, I love this. In this man, we see what it means for the gospel to enter into our hearts and for us then to enter into the gospel. And it's so important because last week we laid out our plan as a church uh, when it comes to serving locally in our city. Um, We believe God's leading us to commit to support uh, the systems and structures and relationships that support vulnerable children. We want every child in our city to know that they are mattered and they are loved. And we know this is an ambitious calling. We know it's far bigger than us. But if it's God's will, and it is, then... Nothing's too big for God. Do you believe that? Let's never let the size of the task scare us away from believing that God can use us if we go after it with all our heart. Some of you know Pastor Oscar Maru from Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, They are an amazing church and church planting movement that God is using mightily there in the continent of Africa and around the world. And I've gotten to know him. He's become a personal friend in their story well. And I believe the success of Nairobi Chapel can really be boiled down to this one main thing. They are unbelievable at mobilizing everybody to get out there and dare believe God for great things. They're just good at it. They get people out of their seat and into the gospel. One of the ways they do that is through interns. And Pastor Oscar told me, he goes, this is how I train an intern. He goes, I'd love to get that intern into my office. And I sit him down and I give him a task and an area of responsibility to go do for God that makes their eyes get really, really big. And he says, I know it keeps them awake at night. Gets them on their knees. He says, you can't believe the transformation when God shows up and uses them. The confidence that that brings. How the Bible turns from a history lesson to a playbook on how we live out the gospel in our own lives. It just is a game changer when we dare to believe that God can and will Use me. I like this. Let me tell you, if your dream doesn't scare you, it's too small. It's not a God-sized dream. Dare to go after God-sized dreams. Things that actually honor God by believing him to do what we can't. Don't dream what you can do for God. Dream what God can do through you when he shows up. I think this is so exciting. And I've been doing this pastor thing now for nearly 40 years. I call this the light switch. When people take this step, the light switch goes on in their walk with Christ. I I just, trust me on this one. All right, and I'm going to talk to you uh, about what keeps us from doing that in just a moment. But enter into the gospel. Now, earlier I told you one of the things that was making me sad um, is we actually just took our son to college Uh, last Sunday. Um, And so he's our fourth one. I've raised four kids now. And as a dad, it's always been my aspiration for the gospel to enter deeply into the hearts of my children, and then for them to enter into the gospel and taste what it means to be used of by God. And I'm really thankful to say that that God's done that in our son Michael's life. And the reason he's going to college early, and we're taking him in January, is he's an early enrollee at Wake Forest University. He's there on a football scholarship as their 2019 quarterback recruit. Um, And it's pretty fun. 
uh, is pretty heady stuff. I mean, when he showed up and we reported to the football building at one o'clock last Saturday, they had people with video cameras, video taping the players as they just walked into the building. I mean, how many of you, when you went to college, had people there in the news media there with video cameras videotaping you, right? You can't believe it. The facilities, $93 million of new facilities. Uh, they, they've got nutritionists on staff. They've got a meal plan to, to die for. Uh, they've got people on staff who literally lay out the schedule for every player and put it on a personalized app for them, what homeworks assignments are due, where they're supposed to be, when they're supposed to be there, alarms going off all the time. They've got unbelievable support for this, and it's really, really heady stuff. I mean, this is big-time college football. All right, this is the uh, ACC in the same division as the Clemson Tigers that just won the national championship. And so one of the things we taught uh, Michael early on, because we could tell he was really gifted in this when he was firing bullets across the room in his diapers. Uh, we could tell pretty early on he's pretty good at this thing. Uh, so we started telling him, and I'd tell him early on, I'd say, Michael, football is just an opportunity to honor God, uh, but it never defines you. You're far more than a football player. What defines you is Jesus. What defines you is what he thinks of you, uh, and he died for you, and he loves you, and, and that's who you are. You just do this football thing as an opportunity to influence others. And fortunately, he gets this. But to reinforce that, I saw an article recently in Relevant Magazine about Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback of Clemson that just won the national championship. This kid's a true freshman. He's a phenom. He had such an incredible year in game. He, many people believe, is already ready for the NFL, and he's a year out of high school. <laughs> and they interviewed him, and he said, you know, my identity is not football. My identity is found in Jesus Christ. This kid is anchored. And so I shared that with Michael just to reinforce what we talked about all these years. What a great example for him. So I'm comforted to know that the gospel has entered into my son's heart and life. Sorry about this, you guys. I'm missing my son, so I get to talk about him this morning. This is part of my therapy. Um, but I, I've seen him enter into the gospel as well. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I may have shared this, but um, he was upstairs and one of his buddies spent the night and uh, we were getting ready to go off to church, and he yelled down, hey, Dad, can my friend come with us to church? And I said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I said, of course, come on, let's go. And, uh, and later I said, hey, I didn't know that he came to know the Lord, and, or he was a Christian. He goes, well, he goes, yeah, he wasn't, but I, I just had the chance to share the gospel with him recently, and he just became a Christian. I said, way to go. He was another offensive lineman. Michael has this, this evangelistic ability to lead offensive linemen to Christ. He's also smart because these guys protect him. And so he <laughs> wants to get them all in the, you know, working for Jesus there and working for him. Um, and so it's just really cool to see. And so he's at it again. Uh, one of the last conversations I had with him as we left, uh, we were talking about his sweet mates, the three guys with him. And I said, man, seems like it's going well. Do you know if any of the guys are following the Lord? He goes, I don't know yet, Dad, but he goes, you know me. He goes, I'm, I'm looking forward to the opportunity to talk and do him about Christ. Ah, oh, I love that. Ah, oh, way to go, kid. Enter into the gospel. It's a game changer. It's the light switch. It changes how we view our Christianity. So what keeps us from entering in? There's billions of reasons. I know uh, some of the big ones uh, well, the one I hear the most is you just don't have confidence. We don't think we know enough. We don't think we're experienced enough. We think we sin too much to be used up by God. Well, let me just tell you, blow that thing out of the water now. 
Right? You're never going to know enough. God's not looking for a walking encyclopedia that knows every answer to every question. He's looking for a faithful servant who will show up. Dare to step through thresholds of fear. Taste this. Let God use you. He will. Other people see the task as just too big. Let me take that one off the shelf. It is too big. Way too big for you and me. Right? That's the beauty of it. It's never too big for God. We're here to make a difference. We can. Maybe you fear people's response. Yeah. Let me just tell you right up front, you're not going to be the most popular person met by everybody with open arms. Let's be real. But you know what? You're not going to face the persecution that Paul and Barnabas did. You might get a negative comment on social media. You might get people avoiding you. Love them anyway. All right. We can take a little bit of that. People need the gospel. It's worth the risk. So these are things that, that I can try to encourage you to jump over those hurdles. But that's kind of like pushing a string. I got a better way. Here, here, here's what we need to do. Tell yourself the gospel every day and keep telling it until it stops just st resting here and it trickles down to here. Let it just flood over your heart. Let the truth that we sing about just fill your soul so that you're overcome and overwhelmed with his goodness, with his grace, with his love that has rescued you and I from a certain eternity without him and has invited us into his story, invited us into his family, invited us into his work. And when that gospel so fills us up, because we're overwhelmed by his grace and truth. When someone bumps into us, what spills out is the gospel. When we do that, we'll enter into the gospel and we'll be able to experience God and his work in a transformative and powerful way that we'll look back throughout all eternity and say, I'm glad I did that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I'm fired up. Um, and I'm so thankful, Lord, uh, that your gospel of grace has led us to repentance, to turn from our own self-effort and our own struggles and to just simply give our hearts over to you. There's nothing we can do but simply accept what you've done for us. And I'm so thankful for that. So I pray for us, Lord. We're wanting to believe you to do great things in and through our lives and in through our church. Um, help us, Lord, to be immersed in the gospel so that we might experience the power of gospel in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.